I think it can be pretty obvious to say that the world we live in today is a world full of lies, of deception, deceit, wickedness, perversion, you name it. It's, it's going on right now. I think the church, Christians, I believe we have put our hope in the wrong things. We put it in a man that's taking an office. We put it in a bill that's being passed. We put it in the, another man. And that's not what we're called to do. There is only one thing that can stop this, that can set us on the right path. It's the word of God. It's the sword with which we fight with. It is the holy ground with which we stand upon. It is the word of the Lord, the word Jesus of Jesus Christ. His gospel, his good news to all. And it is the only thing that can change the heart of a man. It can change a life. We're all here tonight from different backgrounds. Some of us grew up in the church. Some of us didn't. Some of us, you know, grew up from not the best areas. Some of us grew up in the best areas. And yet we all are here tonight with one sole purpose. And that sole purpose is to look unto the cross of Jesus Christ, to look at him, to see his wounds, and to be thankful. And to devote our lives with every breath that we breathe to him. I want us to look at a very specific portion of scripture tonight. And it's in Acts chapter 6. The person God uses. I stole a title from Chuck. He has a book called The Man God Uses. But this isn't a men's fellowship so I couldn't use that. Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read through the whole chapter. And we're going to kind of go back and look at it. It says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. 
And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, they seized him, and they brought him to the council. Then, or sorry, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Tonight, I want to look at this man, Stephen. I think he is one of the most interesting characters in the Bible, the New Testament at least. He is a man who only has two chapters and a couple verses in chapter 8 dedicated to him. But he's a man that was set apart. He was set apart to be chosen, as we see in verse uh, 3. It says, Seek out among you seven good men of reputation. He was set apart to be one of those seven. And yet even a part of those seven, he was set out among them. Because when it's listing them, it says that Stephen is the only one that has the character of the man attached to it. It says, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to name the rest. This chapter, chapter 6, kind of sets as a prelude to chapter 7, which we get to hear Stephen speak. We get to hear an amazing sermon where he goes throughout the entirety of the Old Testament for the most part, and he summons, uh, summons, summarizes it to about 60 verses. And if we had the time tonight, I would love to have gone through that, but uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot. So we will be looking through the end of chapter 7 in a bit, but this man, there was something different about him. There was something that was sanctified in his heart. If we look at chapter, I'm sorry, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. And it says, we ourselves are going to be continually giving ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. I want us to look at these five things that show us what makes a man of God, a woman of God, a person who follows God, hence the title. We see, what is it? that set Stephen apart. Not only, again, to the apostles, that they saw a difference in him, not only to, between his six other allies that he was working alongside, but to God. You see, Stephen, spoiler alert, is the first martyr of the church. He is the one that we see in a chapter later, in chapter 7, we see that he goes before the council the high priests, they all question him. And he gives an amazing sermon. And it is at the end of that sermon that they take him outside the city walls, they throw him down, and they stone him. God chose him to be one of the very first martyrs of the church. Let's look at verse 1, and let's go through, and we'll get through to those five points in a, in a moment. It says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. 
Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And then they're given the, the task of finding the people. First off, we see that there's a need. And I, I want to hammer this home. When there is a need, be it a spiritual need here in the church, a physical need that you need at home or at work or whatever, I encourage you, just go straight to the Lord. Go straight to the Lord and let him take care of that need. There is something that I had read recently that said, whenever Jesus would walk into a room, he would look for the person with the greatest need and he would meet it. He did not have to go to uh, the, the woman at the well and to Samaria. He could have gone around. It was a place that the Jews often did not go. He didn't have to go there. But yet it says that he needed to go because of that one woman. In a multitude of people, in a crowd full of many people that were thronging at him, he met the need of the one woman who had a flow of blood. Jesus knows your need. He sees your need. And he attends to your need. You have to give it to him. So first off, there is a problem here. The apostles saw a great growth in the church. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. But now they have a problem. There was only 12 of them, and there was a whole lot of them. At the time, they had a very interesting way of running the church. Uh, it's called communalism. Not to be, it's kind of like communism, but it's not because communism's bad. It's a form of communalism. And like communism, it didn't work very well. Basically, what they did is that they would take all the money of the church and they would say, here you go, church. They would sell their property. They would sell their, their homes, their land, their possessions. They gave all the money to the church and so that the church could give money out to those who were in need. Hey, I don't have food this week. Okay, here's 50 bucks or whatever they had back then, denarii. They would give according to the need. Now, these people, the Hellenists, they were... Uh, Greek-speaking Jews, uh, they f followed the Greek way of living, but they were Jews and also they were Christians. Now, they were getting upset with the Hebrew Christians. They thought they were getting the short end of the stick and that the Hebrews were getting preferential treatment. And so they went and they said, hey, our widows, our people, they're not getting what they deserve. You're giving more to your people. And so the disciples decide, okay, this is... We need to worry about the greater thing of spreading the gospel. Let's find people that are of good report, that are full of the Spirit, that are wise. Let's find them so that they can take care of the smaller need. That's very much how the church works today, at least here. It's very much how, uh, you know, we see it in, in Exodus. Moses is helping the needs of the people, and yet, he, when he goes to his father-in-law, Jethro, he says, hey, what you're doing is not good. Uh, what I need you to do is take a step back, and you have other people that are here. Let them reign over the thousands, the hundreds, the tens, the individuals. And you take care of the big things while they take care of the small things. You can't just give that to anybody. And that's why it was important for them to find people that were of good report. People that had integrity. Because of this, 
the 12 decided we need help. And they looked for these people. And let's look at these things. So number one, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Good reputation. In the King James Version, this is translated as someone with an honest report. In the New Living Translation, it says someone who's well-respected. We, as believers, just like these seven men that were chosen, we have to be of a good integrity. We have to live a life inside the church, outside the church, inside the home, outside the home. A life that is upright. A life that is holy, sanctified unto God. The best evidence of reputation is someone's whole life. We see people that, Raul talks about it all the time, Paul is the one who originated the term, but we are to run our race to the very, very end. We've seen people in the church, outside of the church, who they've done great things for God, or they've done great accolades you know, in the world, and then after they've passed away, things come out about them. Things that are, oh, that they, behind closed doors, they did this or they did that. And this person that was once held to such a high degree, high integrity, has now been taken down because of the things that were done behind closed doors. I want to point us over to Daniel chapter 6 real quick. Uh, there's a, I'm sure many of you know this story, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was a man that in chapter 1, verse 8, it says that he purposes in his heart to not partake in the delicacies of, uh, of the king's palace, essentially. He wasn't going to be conformed to the world that he was living in. Rather, he was going to stand out. He was going to be set apart, just like Stephen. It says in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 6, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself, pay attention here, above the governors and the satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. And it goes on in the next few verses, and it talks about how they couldn't find anything wrong with this man at all, so they had to devise something to come up. Okay, they had to get the king, you know, under their... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, 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 under their influence, he was, they were trying to get him to put Daniel in a box, essentially, to make him break a law that was just invented. And so Daniel was a man of a good rapport. Nothing could be brought against him. He was a man of integrity. Not a perfect man. Far from it. He was, we don't see much of any sin in Daniel's life at all, but... He, he was a sinner, but yet he, he distinguished himself to be greater. 
If you could also go real quick one more time to the book of Job, chapter 1. If you want to turn there, you can. If you don't, that's okay. It says in verse 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. This is another man who was blameless before man. But I want you to look at something as well. He was not just blameless and of good reputation before the eyes of man, but he was blameless and of a good reputation in the eyes of the Lord. And that is far more important than any man or any woman can ever think of you here on this earth. God looked at these men and he saw someone that he could trust. Are we people that God can trust? Are we someone that, again, both inside our home, outside our home, day and night, hour by hour, are we letting our lives be an example? Are, they, are we letting our lives, even when no one is looking, be sanctified unto the Lord? If we return back to Acts chapter 6, in both of these stories, Job and uh, Daniel, the enemy himself goes up to God and says, hey, let me, let me get at Job. Let me tear him down a notch because all he does is bless you and you bless him and uh, he blesses you in return. But I promise you, if, if you stopped blessing him, if you let me at him for just a while, he'll, he'll stop. And he didn't. Job was again, he remained blameless and upright. He didn't understand what he was going through. And matter of fact, he never got an answer to what he was going through. And yet his integrity remained. Daniel, again, put into the, the lion's den. No, not doing anything wrong to begin with. Stephen, same thing. People had to devise against him. We in our lives have so many people that we can look to not only just biblical characters, but people here in the church, people in our lives that the Lord has put in front of us as a Paul, as somebody to look up to, just somebody to emulate. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I guarantee you every single one of us, as, as I said that, you thought of somebody. There's somebody in your life that the Lord has placed in your heart, placed in your life to emulate so that you could be more like Jesus. We have Pastor Chuck that we've listened to. I, I, if you haven't listened to him, the Word for Today app, it's amazing. They have all of his studies on there. A man that was blameless. Pastor Rawl, somebody that we can look up to here and now, someone who's still walking this earth. We can look to him and we can say, Lord, I want to be like him. He's been following the Lord for something like 55 years or something like that. He's been following for a long time and at no point has he gone back. There's an old hymn and it says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. If we are to live a life of integrity, those words, that hymn, can be true in our lives. No turning back. There is nothing 
There's nothing for you in Egypt. There's nothing for you in your old life, in your where the Lord has delivered you from. There's nothing to be found there. If you look in Genesis, you see that Lot's wife turned around and she looked at the looked behind her. And she got turned to a pillar of salt. Let that not be us. Number two. These men were full of the Holy Spirit. Full, the definition means it's it is I mean, it's, it's has, it has within its limits. It is a cup filled to the brim. It means t- that it is abounding with, that it is supplied and not vacant. Charles Spurgeon once said, the only way to keep chaff out is to fill a basket to the brim with good wheat. We have to just put everything that is not of the Lord Let it fly away in the wind. Let the chaff just blow away. And fill the basket that the Lord has given us with nothing but good wheat. If we are walking in the Spirit, it's more than just a salvation. God has given us so much more than that. He's given us power. He's given us the opportunity to walk in the same power, the same Spirit, as the Spirit who arose Jesus from the grave. And yet we so often do not walk according to that power. We walk according to what we see. We walk according to the things of this world rather than the power of the Spirit. In verse 8, if you skip down there real quick, it says that Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. A supernatural work must be done in supernatural power that can only come from the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 1, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you let the Lord lead you, if you let the Spirit fill you, if you let the Spirit overflow in your life, there is no bounds to the places that the Lord can take you. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. There is no bound to the place, the place is, that the Lord can and wants to take you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. We are told about the gifts of the Spirit. God gives us spiritual gifts, discernment, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpreting tongues. There are so many that are available to us. Paul encourages us to pray for the best gifts. Read through those chapters. Look at those gifts and, Lord, I want that one. Lord, I want all of them. Paul also says something very important, though. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he says that if I was to do all of these things, I'm paraphrasing, if I was to do all of these things and I didn't do it in love, I would be nothing more than clanging cymbals. 
do everything in love. Pray for the gifts. But if you really want to walk in the power of the Spirit of the Lord, we must walk in love. We must walk according to the Spirit of the Lord. If we want the Spirit to work in our life, we also have to repent from sin. Again, if there's those things in our lives that are keeping us from having a life of integrity, those things must come to the throne of God every single day. Again, we're not going to be perfect. No man is. But a repentant heart is what the, the Lord wants us to give to him. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. It says a broken and a contrite spirit he does not despise. We have to be emptied of ourself. We have to be emptied of the world. The Spirit of the Lord will not dwell where another master dwells. And Jesus says you can only serve one. You're either for me or you're against me. The evidence of the Spirit is not found in any specific gift. And the gift of tongues, the gift of you know, discernment, it's not found in any of those. It's found in love. Love for others. Love for the lost, for those who don't know Christ. Loving to share the word of the Lord. Loving to, to, to speak, out about, uh, speak out against sin. To speak against the things of this world. And most importantly, it all culminates to a greater love for Jesus. And that is everything. It has to be everything. It has to be all come back to Jesus. In verse, or number three, sorry, in verse three as well, or two, I'm sorry. No, it is three. Anyways, wisdom, full of wisdom. Proverbs 24, verse three, you don't have to turn there. It says, through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established, and by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Wisdom builds the house, understanding establishes it, and knowledge fills it. Wisdom is the right response to the revelation of God. There are so many things the Lord wants to show us, and if we do not act out in wisdom, then we are not going to properly apply it to our lives. The 1828 Webster Dictionary, back a long time ago, uh, written by a man named Noah Webster, he defines, a Christian man himself, he, he defines wisdom as this. In scripture theology, wisdom is true religion. It's godliness, piety, the knowledge and fear of God and sincere and uniform obedience to his commands. This is the wisdom which is from above. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't have it, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed 
by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double he is a double minded man, unstable in all of his ways. If we are to seek out the wisdom of the Lord, let us do it in faith. Every time we open up our Bible, Lord, show me the wondrous works of your law. Show me the things that you want me to hear. Let it be personal, Lord. Let it minister to me, Lord, in the circumstance that I'm currently in. And Lord, give me the wisdom to apply it to my life. Number four. Now, it's the apostles who, who say that let us be continually in prayer. But it's something that I'm sure Stephen was. We see it in his life. Though, although short his appearance is in the word, we see that he was a man of prayer. Continually means without pause or cessation. Unceasingly. I love this. This is also from the Webster, Webster Dictionary. It says, As the ocean is continually rolling its waves on the shore. Let that be the way that we pray. Constantly. At every opportunity, let us be praying. Paul, he puts an emphasis on prayer in his epistles. We see it in Colossians chapter 1. Again, you don't need to turn there. I will. Chapter 1. Verse 9, Colossians 1, I've got to find it. I didn't mark it, unfortunately. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of all of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. In Romans 1, verse 9, it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul puts such an emphasis on prayer. So should we. In 1 Timothy 2.8 he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I've quoted this verse to death, but in 1 Samuel, Samuel is talking to the people and he says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by not praying for you. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by not praying for you. Pray for others. Pray for your own needs. There are many prayers in the Bible that we can look at to emulate. But those prayers were so powerful because of the people that were praying them had a close relationship with the Lord. You look at Hannah in 1 Samuel praying for a son. 
You look at Nehemiah in chapter 1, praying for his land, for his people. Ezra in chapter 8, he pray, I'm sorry, chapter 9, he prays, same thing, same situation. He prays for the land that the Lord had promised them. Both men prayed with a certainty that, Lord, we know that you will get us there. Jesus in John chapter 17, praying in the garden. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Use prayer. Use it to the greatest of its extent. And lastly, it says, given to the ministry of the word. This word given literally means to pledge. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In Jeremiah 15, 16, it says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. In Matthew 4, it says, It is written, and this is Jesus in the wilderness, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy in that chapter. Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's not just going to Bible studies. It's not just hearing the word of God. It's not just even reading it every day. It's reading it and taking in, keeping it, and giving it out. To share with those that are around you. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Let us be bold. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us shout it from the rooftops. That's what these men did. So shall we. Second Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1, 2, and verse 5. It says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convict, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we see the story of after Jesus has been risen from the dead, he's on the road to Emmaus and two disciples walk alongside him and they're asking him about the things that happened. You know, Jesus is asking them about the things that happened. Why are you guys sorrowful? Now, don't you know that Jesus was here and he was crucified? 
And he says in verse 25, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And this is the very important part in verse 27. He says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He started at the very beginning and he went all the way. So shall we. Don't let us get caught up in one portion of the Bible and or another. Expound. Dive deep. The Bible is like a mine shaft, right? You have to go in there with your pickaxe and your dynamite or whatever you're going to use. You got to go in there. You got to dig. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's hard labor. But oh, the joy when you get that nugget, when you get that, that, that beautiful, beautiful riches, as we talked about earlier in Proverbs 24, it's the, the knowledge that fills the house with riches, fills the house with wonderful things. Continuing on through Acts chapter 6, it says in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You see the fruit of these, men, these men's lives. The word of God spread. It went out. It wasn't kept up in here. No, they, they, they took it and they gave it to everyone that they could. We see in verse 8 that Stephen, again, specifically was full of faith and power. And he did great wonders and signs among the people. And then here comes the enemy. Whenever the Lord's doing a work, the enemy is trying to punch right back. Again, in the life of Daniel and Job, the, Lord, the enemy will specifically attack those who are upright, those who have integrity. It says in verse 9, it says, Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. They immediately started to fight with him over the things that he was preaching. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. He spoke with such power, with such authority, and I would imagine with such love that they were not able to resist the things that he was saying. They were not able to put aside the things that he spoke of, not because of him, but because of the spirit by which he spoke. And this is an important reminder that in everything that we do, let all glory go to God. It's, it wasn't by Stephen's words that he was ministering uh, unto them. It was because he had faith and he walked in the power of the Spirit. In verse 11, it says, Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. 
And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, they seized him, and they brought him to the council. And they also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Notice how they put all of their the blasphemous words against the place and the law. That wasn't against God. They had their minds completely on the wrong thing, just as they did with Jesus. In verse 14, it says, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, they saw his face as the face of an angel. Good reputation, integrity. And again, not even just before man, but before God as well. If you can turn with me to the very end of chapter 7. Stephen, throughout chapter 7, gives an amazing sermon about how Joseph and Moses, they were shadows of the the ministry of Jesus. Moses says that there was another that was to come after me, a prophet like me. He points to these things to say, hey, look, you crucified the very one that was sent to you. He says in verse 51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of Jesus, whom you of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. It it hit deep. It says that they were gnashed at him with their teeth. They did not respond with wisdom. they, They responded in the flesh. They responded... These things, they're affecting, they're affecting me. They're convicting me. I'm going to lash out. I'm going to go against him now. And so they began to gnash their teeth, similar to what Jesus says to those who do not accept him. It says, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears, they covered their ears, and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. If we look through the things that we've talked about through this this study, and we look at Stephen's life, We can see in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, that he was a man of good reputation. It says in saying, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, it says he was full of faith and power. In chapter 7, 
It says in verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He was a man of good integrity. Nothing could have been brought against him. We see in verses you know, 8 through 15 that they had to devise uh, that he was blaspheming against Moses and God. Two, we see that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 8, full of faith and power. You see it even in, through his message in chapter 7. I encourage you to go home and read it. We see that he spoke with power. He was not afraid to say, you stiff-necked and you uncircumcised in heart and ears. He always resists the Holy Spirit. We see that he, he was spiritual enough to look unto heaven and see the glory of God and that Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. Three, we see that he had wisdom in his speech and with his lengthy message, his, his sermon to the high priests. He was just an ordinary man standing before those who knew everything. The, the high priests that dedicated their entire life to knowing the word of God, and yet they knew so little. Number four, and I love this one. He was continually praying, even unto death. We see his last words is a prayer. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Very similar to Jesus as he was on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was a man of prayer. And lastly, he was given to the ministry of the word. He shared the gospel even, again, unto death. He had the willingness to even die for it, for his faith in the Lord Jesus. Stephen was one man who gave himself wholly to the Lord. If we did the same, Lord, let there be a change in our, in our world. Stephen's life, as we see in verse 58, it says the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we see in, in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says now Saul was consenting to his death and at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. As we know, this, man, this same man, Paul, Saul, would become Paul in just a chapter later. Chapter 9, we see that he's on the Damascus Road and the Lord says, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? You're persecuting me. Why do you do this? And Paul proceeded to then change the world. Churned it upside down, right side up, if you will. He didn't let the things that were going on around him deter him from, again, boldly proclaiming the word of God. Stephen didn't allow the things that were going on around him. His trial, him being seized. He didn't allow those things to deter him from sharing the word of God. Our circumstances. We have, we have it good in America as of right now. We can preach the word. We can read. We have a Bible. 
There's churches in China that are underground that they can't. They have pages. All they might know is one single verse and they cling to that verse with all of their heart. We have the full counsel of God before us right now. We have it in our pockets. We have it in our phones. Let us look through it. Let us live according to it. As Jesus said in Luke 18, blessed are those who hear the word of God and they keep it. Let us be of good integrity. Let us be wise, constantly praying, given unto the word of God and being full of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we humbly come before you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for who you are. Father, for your great love, Lord, that you have shown us, Lord. Lord, we do not deserve it. Lord, let our lives, Lord, be a devotion, a prayer, Lord, unto you. Father, let us do, Lord, what you want us to do. Let us cast aside all things, Lord, that are taking us, Lord, away from you in a deeper relationship, Father, that you desire us to have. Give us greater love, Father. Give us an outpouring of your Spirit. Give us wisdom, Father, because it can only be found, Father, from you. Lord, as we worship you here tonight, Father, let it be in spirit, Lord, and in truth. I go before all those, Lord, who are I will be heading back home tonight. Keep them safe, Father. Lord, let your word, Lord, follow where it may. Pierce through our hearts, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in your most holy name. Amen.